Hey, Watson, do you want to play a game? Sure. All right, so I'm going to give you a total of three quotes. We're going to see if it takes you all three quotes to figure out which movie I'm going to be talking about this episode. Are you ready? Yes. All right, quote number one. You will be rather attractive one day. Not at all beautiful, you understand, but you have a certain prettiness, different from my other heads. I believe I'll lock you in the tower for a few years until your head is ready, and then I'll take it. Alice in Wonderland? Nope. Number two. Look, Belina, these ones have lost their heads. Nope. (laughs) All right. This one, if you don't get out in this one, I, I can't help you. Quote number three, you put them on and you click your heels three times and you say, there's no place like home. Is this that Wizard of Oz sequel that I've never seen? (laughs) Return to Oz. See, you still got it, though. All right. Thank you for playing. Thank you. Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. So this is season two where we're talking about 80s kids movies we grew up loving and sometimes fearing. We are going to get to the 90s in just a few weeks. So if that is more your time period, hang on, we're going to get there. This one is another one that was a bit of both of the loving and fearing. It's Return to Oz. In all actuality, it is terrifying, and it still gets me a little bit to this day. It's just, it's weird. It's so weird that it's uncomfortable at times. But before we get into all of that, let's do some lazy internet research. Okay, so Return to Oz is a combination of L. Frank Baum's second and third books in the Oz series. Now, I personally have not gotten beyond The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. We actually read it as a library during quarantine where we filmed uh, just about each staff member reading a chapter, and then we put it together and released a different chapter each week so that people could read along with us. It was a lot of fun. And for kids who were missing their favorite kids librarians, they got to see them and get a sneak peek of their home too, which was pretty cool but if you're looking at the book they have a map of Oz and you quickly realize as you're looking at this map that uh, there's a lot happening in Oz that we have no idea about if your only entry point into the story is the 1939 version with Judy Garland so uh, you in return to Oz you get introduced to a lot of that otherness which is kind of exciting and very scary next point a gymnast named Michael Sundin folded himself into the suit of TikTok and walked backwards to make him move. Not sure why he was walking backwards, but puppeteers and individuals who can make these creatures seem even remotely alive, they're just magical. I think I'm going to have to pop it back on to see if I can tell if a grown man is really inside TikTok or mechanical soldier. Um, I I read this fact after I had done my rewatch, so I'd kind of like to go back and see if I can tell if there's a grown man in there. (laughs) Probably not. I mean, movie magic, but I find it hard to believe he was a short. I don't know if he was a short man in real life. I need to look that up, but the character is short, so he had to have really like almost folded himself in half. How do you not get dizzy and hot and just claustrophobic? I don't know, but very cool. So it cost about $25 million to make Return to Oz, which only grossed a little over $11 million worldwide at the box office. So that's kind of rough. They got nowhere close to recouping their costs. Fun fact, though, according to a random website I found, Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd were both considered for the role of the Gnome King, to which I say yes to either option. I mean, they are two of my favorite 80s and 90s movie actors. I mean... They're fabulous in so many different movies. They would have taken him in a completely different direction, I would assume, but 
That would have been very fun to see. And according to that same website, Drew Barrymore, Alanis Morissette, Elizabeth Berkeley, and Juliette Lewis. This is a very interesting group of women, very talented, but you don't often hear these four names together. They all auditioned for the role of Dorothy as well. In order to include the ruby slippers as a part of the film, so they only show up really for a few split seconds towards the end of the movie with the Gnome King, Disney had to pay royalties to MGM, the studio that produced The Wizard of Oz. The ruby slippers did not actually appear in L. Frank Baum's original novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. They were invented for the 1939 film to better take adventure advantage, not adventure, of the newly developed Technicolor process. In the books, they were actually silver shoes, which is kind of fun. The film received a mention in the Guinness Book of World Records as the sequel that was made the longest period of time after the original. So it was 46 years later that we get Return to Oz. Bambi and the Great Prince of the Forest, which came out in 2006, ended up breaking that record, released 64 years after the original Bambi. Did Bambi need a sequel? I don't think it needed a sequel. I'm not even sure The Wizard of Oz needed a sequel, but hey, we got one. So who is ready for the spoiler-filled walkthrough of the movie? All right, here we go. Once upon a time, there was a girl who believed that she traveled by tornado to a magical world known as Oz. Now that she's home about six months later, she's not adjusting well. She's obsessed with the adventures that she had had and not quite sure how to readjust being back home with Aunt Em and Uncle Henry. Aunt Em, incidentally, is played by the really scary teacher who kicks off the alien invasion in the 1998 horror flick The Faculty, starring the one and only Josh Hartnett. Anywho, so one afternoon, while Dorothy is collecting eggs on the farm, trying to coax good behavior out of a chicken, can you do that? I, I mean, I, I've not been around a lot of chickens. I, I weirdly know a lot of people who have or own chickens or have family, mem family members that own chickens, um, but I just, can you be like, oh, sweet thing, you should lay an egg, and they'll just do that? I don't know. Well, anyway, so she discovers a key she believes to be from Oz. Aunt Em doesn't believe her and insists again that she stop talking nonsense. Hoping to get some help from her nie for her niece, Aunt Em loads Dorothy into the carriage and takes her to this really intimidating building that, of course, screams, Asylum! There they meet a doctor who asks Dorothy for her story. He seems kind and comforting until he pulls out what he refers to as an electrical marvel. He's going to electrocute the crazy out of her. So as Dorothy stares at the machine in fear and wonder, she sees this face of a young girl. We're not sure what that means yet, only that something magical has to be on the horizon. So Aunt M is leaving Dorothy at the institution for therapy, and of course, the expected scary nurse takes her to her room. There's always a scary nurse. This nurse is played by Jean Marsh, who we'll see again in a bit, but she's also known as Queen Bavmorta from Willow. I would not... I think maybe that's the second time I've mentioned Willow on the podcast at some point, but we'll probably talk about more later. Actually, I know we will. Ooh, spoiler, coming up in another episode, you're going to hear more about Willow. I would not have gone willingly with this particular woman. She's dressed all in black. She has no facial expression. She's terrifying. Off topic, Aunt M's southern accent. It's just horrible. It's horrible. 
So the tone immediately changes after Aunt Em leaves. The building is big and scary. The nurse is heartless and scowly in her stiff black dress, and Dorothy is compliant and intimidated. So in her room, she's visited by the young girl she saw on the machine, and she's handed a pumpkin. Because why not? The girl seems to know who she is, and this doesn't seem to be a problem for Dorothy. She's like, oh, cool, you know who I am. Yeah, that's fine. Just I, I think I guess she's just very trusting after her experiences in Oz. And just to make things a little scarier, there's, of course, a thunderstorm, which happens almost immediately after Dorothy gets to her room. And Dorothy was taken to her room almost immediately after Aunt M left. And so Aunt M and Dorothy had traveled a good portion of the day to get to this asylum. So poor Aunt M is just going to have a terrible, horrible trip home. She's going to get very wet. Hopefully she had a place that she could pull over because it's a doozy of a storm. Later that evening, I don't know how much time has passed. Dorothy is summoned to the doctor for her therapy. They're just getting right to it. So they pull her out of her room and then they strap her to a gurney and roll her down the hallway. She's, this is where she finally gives some pause. Like, why are we doing this? Um, I can walk, but they're like, no, no, get on the gurney. And they strap her down. The doctor still all smiles, greets Dorothy, places some headphones on her head, cranks a little lever and is about to throw the switch when the storm knocks out the power to the whole building. Without a word, they leave Dorothy tied to the gurney in this dark room. They just leave her there. Not even like, we'll be right back. Don't worry, we're going to go get the lights. Nothing like that. They just kind of walk out of the room, leaving this poor child tied to this gurney. The young girl who had shown up in the room, Dorothy's room, comes to rescue her, freeing her from the restraints and pulling her down the hallway towards the front door. So, you know, at least they went towards the front door and up, instead of up the stairs, which always seems to happen in horror movies. Not that this is a horror movie. It's kind of an unintended one, but at least they shot for get out of the building. So scary nurse sees them, though, of course, and the chase begins. The girls run out into the storm, through the woods, and toward a river. Because why not? Where they are washed away in the current. So there's a random crate as she's as Dorothy's being washed away. Don't know where the other girl went. And she is able to climb into it and then, of course, you know, falls asleep because she's floating in a crate down a river in a storm. And that's the perfect time to take a nap. But then she's awoken by the sound of clucking. Sitting in the crate with no explanation is Belina, the chicken that Dorothy had been trying to get to lay eggs. The two are now in a very small pond, no river to be seen, in a land that looks very different from Kansas. Wonder why they chose the chicken instead of Toto to appear in Oz. Or as we'll find out later, just a chicken in general. I, I can see maybe why Toto doesn't work at the very end with the Gnome King, but it does not make sense for a chicken. And why can Belina talk? When Toto was in Oz, he couldn't talk. Are chickens especially fantastical? Is that why? Just an interesting question. Just something to ponder. So Dorothy seems to know where they're at. They're on the edge of the deadly desert, which ends abruptly turning into a lush forest. How she knows it's the deadly desert, I don't know, because the deadly desert did not show up at all in the 1939 Wizard of Oz. Not far in onto land, they discover a lunch pail tree, which is very convenient. Um, but they're at while they're trying to get their lunches, which... Apparently, this tree can grow these lunch pails that are filled with ham sandwiches. I mean, 
That's kind of cool. I mean, just if you forgot your lunch for school and you could just go outside and pick a pail off a tree, that'd be kind of nice. This whole time, though, Belina and Dorothy are being watched by rocks. Some evil baddie we haven't met yet knows that Dorothy is back. Knows who Dorothy is. It's like, oh, no, she's back. And that he also knows he, she... That's a spoiler. It's going to be a he. Uh, (laughs) Knows that Dorothy has a chicken with her, which is apparently a very big deal, that there's a chicken in Oz. The weird pair continue walking and come upon the house that Dorothy first arrived to Oz in. Uh, It's now overgrown and there are no munchkins to be seen. In fact, the yellow brick road has been destroyed and is completely overgrown. The rock reports back to your majesty to let him know that they're on the way to the Emerald City, which takes them no time at all. No time at all. Now, the first movie, did it not take the whole movie almost for her to get to the Emerald City? This is like a few minutes. I mean, she's like, let's just walk down this road a little bit. And they're there. They did not pass where the scarecrow was. They did not pass where the tin man was. They did not pass the forest where the cowardly lion was. It's just there in the land of Munchkin, Munchkin City. Is that what it was? As mayor of the Munchkin City. Yes, Munchkin City. And then all of a sudden they're in the Emerald City. Um, So they're there. Just like the Yellow Brick Road, the city has been destroyed and there are stone statues everywhere in a very apocalyptic scene. Well, they're very clean statues, but it seems that the people of of the Emerald City have been turned to stone. The walls have crumbled, the vegetation has overgrown, and there's even some graffiti that warns Dorothy to beware of wheelers. The graffiti's kind of cool. It... it Well, we'll get there just a second. (laughs) So just as Dorothy discovers the Tin Man and Cowardly Lion among the statues, they're stone as well, they meet their first wheeler. How to describe the wheelers. Okay. Do you remember the creatures from the Dark Crystal that take Jen and Kira to the Skeksis Castle? All right. So they've got the long legs and they kind of gallop a little bit. Now imagine those things with wheels at the end of their legs, wearing costumes that look like um, a lot like Usher's outfit in his 1997 video for My Way and throw in a face mask like the one Kenneth Branagh wears in Much Ado About Nothing. That was a lot of pop culture references. But if you know, you know, there's just a lot going on. Very colorful creatures with very kind of long, stilty legs um, and creepy masks. They also give off, and this is with the graffiti, they also give off serious gang vibes like the 1979 cult classic, The Warriors. It's a good movie. I I love this movie. I shouldn't, but I do. They like to laugh maniacally, and before long, they have Dorothy trapped in a corner because she found the one alleyway with no way to get out. But no worries. It just so happens that the wall behind her has a keyhole that perfectly matches the key she found on the family farm that is in her pocket. Now she's, she gets the key out, may, oh, a door opens, she sneaks in and closes the door. Now she's safe from the wheelers, at least, who promise to eventually catch her, tear her into pieces, and toss her into the deadly desert, which is quite graphic for a kid's movie. I mean, they say all of that. The idea that a little kid is watching this and like, I'm going to tear you to pieces and I'm going to toss you into the deadly desert just seems like a lot. They also reveal the baddie is the Gnome King, who apparently hates chickens. We still don't know why yet. So the wheelers, they roll off still laughing, and Dorothy begins to explore the new room she finds herself in. Standing behind her is a new mechanical man of sorts. 
it looks like Dorothy is re- rebuilding her Oz fighting team. So she's putting her posse together. She has her chicken where she had Toto before, and now she's found the first person in her posse. It was during this scene where Belina's voice felt very familiar. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but eventually it came to me. Our new favorite chicken, if you have one, is also the voice of the junk lady in Jim Henson's masterpiece of a movie, Labyrinth. So when Sarah um, is in what she thinks is her room and that little lady, the junk lady, comes and is handing her her bear, Lancelot, and her... um, Oh, what's that thing called? The music box kind of thing. And her lipstick. That is the voice of Belina. That sent me into an internet search rabbit hole that lasted about 30 minutes. But I finally returned to the movie. (laughs) I tell you, it takes me forever to do these rewatches because I'm constantly on IMDb. Anyway, lucky for Dorothy, our new mechanical metal man comes with instructions. She winds him up and he gets very chatty. So his name is TikTok and He is apparently the Royal Army of Oz. The whole army, I guess? I don't know. And he was tasked by His Majesty the Scarecrow, so somehow the Scarecrow is now royalty, to wait for Dorothy's return. He's not a wealth of information, that's about all he has, and he has no idea what actually happened to Oz and his citizens because he um, ran out of juice before that happened, but he promises to be Dorothy's great protector. So now supported by an army of one, they head back out into Oz and immediately encounter the wheeler that had been taunting her from the other side of the wall. TikTok immediately captures him and forces him to spill the context of the story. So the Gnome King conquered the Emerald City, stole all of the emeralds, and turned everyone to stone. Now the city is being ruled by Princess Mombi, who apparently holds the location of the Scarecrow. So we know that Dorothy's going to have to find Mombi in order to find the Scarecrow. Because kids in kids' movies always walk headfirst into danger, Dorothy just strides right up onto Mombi's castle and knocks on the door, her chicken in hand. Then she proceeds just to let herself in when no one answers the door. So breaking and entering is perfectly fine. They find Mombi in the throne room. She's a delicate blonde woman sitting alone playing a musical instrument. Because, of course. Um, She awkwardly says she wants to put on something more appropriate, which... You don't often hear in kids' movies because that usually refers to something else. Uh, And then she guides Dorothy into her closet, says, no, you have to come along alone. Come to me with me to my closet. Which, you know, uh, still some poor life choices here. Just poor life choices on Dorothy's end. She's very trusting. By appropriate, Mombi means she wants to change her head. So Dorothy takes this all in stride. This woman takes her into this closet where... All these glass panels are lined up, and behind the glass panels are just dozens of heads, all turning, all looking, all very much alive. Um, So the woman takes off her head and just walks across, across the hall and grabs another one. No screaming from Dorothy, no fainting, just takes it all in. She doesn't even seem too alarmed when this strange lady calls her beautiful and then says she's going to lock her in a tower for a few years while her head matures so that she can take it. (laughs) I mean, Dorothy is made of stronger stuff than I would be. I would probably not have followed this strange woman I didn't know without a friend accompanying me. I mean, she didn't even take the chicken, I don't think. Eventually, Dorothy puts up a fight, thank goodness, but she's no match for Mombi, who drags her up a filthy stone staircase. Oh, now Belina is there, Belina in hand, and they and locks them away in what appears to be the attic junk room. 
TikTok is nowhere to be found. He's run out of juice down in the throne room. It doesn't take long before Dorothy meets another terrifying creature. He's not supposed to be terrifying, but I found him very scary. His name is Jack Pumpkinhead. He's a gangly body with a jack-o'-lantern for a noggin. He was brought to life after Mombi sprinkled powder of life on him, so this magical power, powder. And Jack's a friend, but just not one I'd love to have walking around behind me. I wonder if he's served as any sort of inspiration for Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas, because they do really kind of in a sense, look alike. It's it's an interesting... The way he moves, um, she just kind of ties his arms and legs together with string, and that seems to be enough to get him get him moving. Anyway, Jack helps, the escape, helps them escape the attic, and the three new friends make their way back down to the throne room where TikTok is standing. That's where Jack asks if he can call Dorothy this small child mom, you know, which isn't, it isn't weird at all. He came, are you my mom? Are you my mom? Like pigeon or something. I don't know. Are you my mother? Or is that llama? I can't remember. You know the kid's book. They get their mechanical friend all situated before Dorothy sneaks into Mombi's room. She actually sends her friends upstairs and says, hey, I've got a plan. Belina's up there. She'll tell you how to take care of it. Um, I'm going to go steal Mombi's head. She wants the powder of life. So she's got to sneak into the closet where all these heads are sleeping. Um... And locked away in one of the cabinets because Dorothy managed to steal the key from Mombi as she was sleeping. Uh, is it a, like um is, is another cabinet, but not with a glass door. And inside, though, this cabinet is the powder of life. But next to this powder of life is um, another scary head. I mean, this one's especially scary. Of course, this head wakes up, sounds the alarm, and Dorothy is forced to rush out of the room. While headless Mombi is trying to find a head, Dorothy rushes back upstairs where TikTok, Jack, and Belina have created a flying contraption made of the junk in the attic. So there apparently there's something called a gump that looks a lot like a moose. Um, and so it's a gump's head and like a sofa. And they've used palm leaves because apparently there were some trees up in the attic as wings. So with the powder of life, they're able to escape on this contraption, which pisses off Mobby, who sends out the wheelers after them. So the wheelers are rolling underneath as gump gump airlines is flying the crew out our group of misfits is safe up in the clouds out of reach of the wheelers for a while at least until they hit some turbulence (laughs) this movie kills me so jack then loses his head and the flying contraption starts to fall apart they go tumbling through the sky and should have most definitely died from the fall but instead land safely in some snow on the side of a mountain And guess what? It just so happens to be, yes, the Gnome King's Mountain. And as they go about checking to make sure everything is okay, okay, the Gnome King appears as rock on the side of the mountain. Dorothy believes that he has the Scarecrow, and the King seems very disinterested in returning her friend to her. So then he starts to laugh maniacally, and an avalanche starts, and the mountain kind of cracks, and Dorothy falls into an abyss. While she's falling, the Gnome King monologues, because that's the perfect time to do so, about how all of the precious gems of the world are made at his mountain. And he's sort of pissed off that the citizens of Oz stole his emeralds. And he blames that on the Scarecrow since he was in charge when he decided to do something about it. But wouldn't the emeralds have been gone for a while? I mean, at least before Scarecrow was in charge, so... I don't know. She reach, eventually reaches the bottom of the cavern and gets a brief glimpse of her friend, 
the scarecrow before he's turned into an ornament, a bauble, something. And he disappears and he goes into another attic, I believe. The rest of Dorothy's friends then appear and the Gnome King offers them a chance to play a game. If they can find the right ornament up in the attic and say the right word, they will be free. If not, they will each become one of his prized ornaments. And the longer the Gnome King talks to Dorothy, the more human he becomes, which is interesting because every time one of her posse members doesn't get it right, um, they become the ornament and he becomes more human-like. At one point, she looks down at his feet and he's wearing her ruby slippers, which are just very dashing on him. Uh, and it's quite the sight. He used them to defeat the Emerald City. So I don't know how he ended up with, I don't think they told us how he ended up with the ruby slippers, but it well, doesn't matter really. None of this makes sense. One by one, each of her friends fails the test. They just can't seem to find the right ornament. The Gnome King offers her the chance to go home, but she's stubborn and wants to save her friends, which is very sweet. So she enters the attic of stuff. TikTok is still functioning. He pretended that he had frozen and he needed to be cranked up again, uh, but he he didn't. He decided that he wanted to get Dorothy in the room before he made his last choice so that she could see what he turned into in hopes of helping her find the other one. So since he was metal, if he turned into, I don't know, like a, a clock or something, she would kind of know, oh, and uh, that, I don't know. It does make sense here. <laughs> Um, he just he was trying to help her out, helping her defeat the game. While she's in the attic room looking for the ornaments, Mombi and the wheelers have arrived at the Gnome's King, Gnome King's castle. They are doing his bidding. He's ticked off at her for letting Dorothy escape and is worried that Ozma may also get away. So Ozma is the rightful ruler of Oz. So I don't know what the Scarecrow is doing. Um, Mommy assures him that no, nothing's going to happen with Ozma. It's all good. But back in the attic room, Dorothy correctly guesses one of the ornaments and Scarecrow appears. Turns out creatures of Oz are turned into green items. So as Dorothy finds each of her friends, the Gnome King reverts back to his rock-like status and starts to attack. There's like a giant earthquake of sorts because they are in his mountain and he can apparently move rocks around. Our small band runs for their life, but poor Jack is captured just as he's about to be eaten. And the whole time, Belina has been hiding in his pumpkin head. So as the Gnome King lifts Jack up and is going to put him in his mouth, um, Belina starts to cluck, startling the king. She then lays an egg. You go, Belina. The egg then drops down into the Gnome King's throat, poison him, poisoning him. So that's why it's a chicken. <laughs> the Gnome King is allergic to eggs. Uh, the Gnome King is destroyed, leaving behind the ruby slippers. Dorothy slips them on and wishes to be returned to the Emerald City with all of the Ozians returned to life. The magic works, and in no time the Emerald City is returned to its former glory. Oh, and Mombi is imprisoned. After a parade, the Ozians ask for a speech and Dorothy lets everyone know she just, I need to go home. Her friends understand, but she's torn because she wishes she could be in both Kansas and Oz at the same time. Then there's another magical moment and the girl, young girl from the institution, appears in a mirror behind Dorothy. Dorothy helps her cross over to discover that the girl is, can you guess, 
Ozma, the rightful ruler of Oz. Ozma sends, then sends Dorothy home, sans Belina. Belina didn't want to go home. And Dorothy wakes up cold and alone in the river, muttering goodbye to herself. Toto and Uncle Henry find her. They'd been searching all night. Turns out the institution had been hit by lightning during the storm and burned to the ground. Everyone was rescued except the doctor who went down with his horrible machines. Then a carriage drives by with the evil nurse Mombi locked nurse lady slash mombi locked in the back and before long dorothy is home safe and sound the end there's a lot of interesting things about this movie one that it was made at all a sequel several decades after the first was released with almost completely different characters and a complete departure from the original just seems like an interesting choice to throw money at you know and number two that it was not intended to specifically terrify small children but absolutely felt failed in that realm. I mean, it, it's scary. The idea of taking off a head and switching it out with another is a terrifying concept. The wheelers were scary. The gnome king capturing them and turning them into ornaments. And number three, I guess that this is beloved at all. Apparently there's a lot of people that love this one. I mean, it's, it's all right. It's just, it's not my favorite. So let's take a look at the characters. The Dorothy in this story, while acted excellently by Feruza Balk, is a bit of a Debbie Downer. She's a little more sulky. She doesn't sing, which is just unfortunate, and shows no fear as she marches along headlong into dangerous situations. Now, as a small kid, her confidence and courage is admirable, but kind of unbelievable. I think part of that is the fact that we have an actual child playing the role of a child, which doesn't happen all that often. There could be something to the fact that she's back in familiar territory maybe, but even today, I don't even march that confidently into Target, even knowing where everything is at. <laughs> and the fact that this girl's just like, yeah, I'll just go right on up into Mombi's Mombi's castle, even though she's the ruler of these wheelers. This this will be great. Then we have her posse. They're not quite as endearing as the lion, scarecrow, and tin man. The fact that Jack goes around calling her mother or mom just seems a bit inappropriate, and we don't really get as much time with them individually to get a great feel for their personalities. The original did an excellent job of that as Dorothy met each along the yellow brick road, so she spent time with Scarecrow, and then they did some traveling with just Scarecrow and Tin Man, and then they picked up the Cowardly Lion. By the time they got to the Emerald City... You knew the motivations of all of these characters, their personalities, how... um, potentially what their roles were going to be because you saw the loyalty of the scarecrow um you had a a tin man with an axe ready to chop if he needed to and you had the cowardly lion who um you kind of assumed was going to find courage somewhere so just not as great of a posse what they did get right was the wheelers and mombi they do lead directly to the unintentional terrifying but Overall, they're excellent villains, most definitely unhinged and unpredictable. The wheelers also laugh a lot, which is a quick way to get my hair to stand up on my arms. As for the Gnome King, I have mixed feelings. They attempt to explain his motivation, but it's weak at best. And without the context of the books, though popular, I refuse to believe that the people who ended up at the theater went because they were in love with the series and not Judy Garland. He didn't make a whole lot of sense. Why weren't they fighting him in the first movie? I also... I didn't love the rocks talk effect. I think it would be different today with the advantages of advancements of CGI. The idea of the Gnome King transferring or transforming 
into a more human-like state as each ornament was being made was pretty cool, though. Um, man, I can almost just imagine Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd as that, though. As for the plot, all of this, you know, kind of leads to that. So exposition, we have a girl with very probable PTSD. She's not coping well being back home from her adventure in Oz. If that actually even happened in the first place, it could have all been a traumatic brain injury from being caught in a tornado. Who knows? Her family doesn't know what to do with her, so they seek the assistance of a doctor in an institution straight out of a horror movie, including the heartless and intimidating nurse ratchet type dressed all in black. Another storm, a bit of Aussie and magic, and her heroine is back in Oz, but things are not as she left them. Something terrible has happened and all of her friends have disappeared. Conflict. And so Dorothy must overcome a series of obstacles, including the very memorable villain who switches heads. Rising action. The climax is when she faces the Gnome King, who you never really learn a whole lot about. There is no context for him, so while the tension is heightened, there's no punch to it. The stakes don't feel all that high, to be honest. And then, just like before, like waking from a dream, Dorothy is back in Kansas, back on the farm, and back thinking and dreaming of the world over the rainbow. I mean, the story isn't bad. It has all of the elements a plot needs, peppered with some interesting, if not well-developed characters. It's just that if you haven't read the books, there's not nearly enough of anything to get you invested. As for life lessons, this one was pretty easy because it's really the same lesson from the original. Friendship can come from the unlikeliest of moments, the unlikeliest of places, the unlikeliest, unlikeliest of people. But it's friendship or family that will save us. Dorothy keeps finding the most ridiculous posse members, a scarecrow without a brain, a tin man without a heart, a lion without courage, a chicken that won't lay eggs, a mechanical soldier that constantly needs winding up, a pumpkin-headed goofball that likes to call her mom, and a gump head that is embarrassingly tied to a sofa to make a flying contraption. On paper, this isn't the crew you want with you as you charge headlong into danger. But they all have the one thing that counts, loyalty. They're all in for Dorothy, all ready to face the wizard and the gnome king with her. I mean, sometimes the people or creatures you need with you are just the ones who are willing to stand next to you when things get hard. Not the strongest, not the smartest, not the most practical, just those who care about you for better or worse. Casting, character recasting. The casting was, it was okay. It was some of the effects I had issues with, not the actual performances. Uh, I just really did not care for the way they did the talking rocks and the Gnome King in parts. Does this or did this need a sequel? Okay, just going to be honest. I don't think this one ever needed to be made. (laughs) I was so glad there wasn't another one. There wasn't a third in this series. Um, The first one I find, the original, the 1939 The Wizard of Oz, to me, is one of the scariest movies ever made. Um, I think that the Lollipop Guild, um, I I can't even talk about them. They freak me out so much. And I'm not, I'm not being, trying to be funny. (laughs) They really frighten me. I cannot watch. I have a hard time watching the 1939 vision. The, The Wicked Witch is horrifying. She's scary. Um, The way she laughs, how she looks at Dorothy, some of the things she says to Dorothy, how she just kind of poof and appears, uh, just terrifying. The lollipop guild, the way they talk out of the sides of their mouth and do that jerky dance thing with the giant lollipops, I don't love that. The flying monkeys are scary. There's just a lot to this. The, The wizard who's supposed to be benevolent and kind, who's, I know it's 
kind of magic and machinery for most of it, but he's still frightening. There's just a lot of this that I just, I'm not a huge, huge fan of the original. I always find it very scary, even as an adult. Um, So I I just don't know if this needed to be made. As for rewatchability, I mean, it's kind of fun to revisit from time to time. Not a frequent watch. It'd been a while since I rewatched it, and I think that's what needs to happen, at least for me. Wait several years and then rewatch it again, so it all kind of feels a little bit new. But what did you think of A Return to Oz? Did it terrify you as a child? Or is this one that you skipped? Was your fear of the Lollipop Guild too great to give this one a go? <laughs> They're so scary. They're so scary. The Lullaby League wasn't nearly as scary as the Lollipop Guild. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the podcast, but only if it's nice. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time. <laughs>